Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. What follows is an interview I conducted on the 15th of October 2014 with television station WFAA in Dallas, Texas. We discussed a recent case where a nurse who was from a local hospital who had been exposed to Ebola while treating a patient flew on a pair of airline flights. While the nurse was exhibiting no Ebola symptoms on the outbound flight, on her return flight to Dallas she had a slight fever. She was allowed to fly on that flight after getting approval from the CDC, an approval that CDC later admitted was inappropriate. In the interview, we discuss a variety of issues, including the kind of risk passengers may face if someone is on board their flight who is infected with Ebola. Let's just get right to it. You're, you're familiar with Dallas and its Ebola outbreak, is that right? That's correct. Tell me this, how concerned should the passengers be on that Airbus that was shared by that nurse who we, who we and she later found out tested positive for Ebola. How, how concerned should those passengers on that aircraft be that they were on that aircraft with her? Well, it depends on what was happening on that flight. From the early reports that have come in, she was feverish on the flight from Cleveland back to Dallas. Therefore, she was symptomatic, and therefore, she was at risk as pa- at, of passing Ebola on to fellow passengers. Now, there was no report of her uh, producing bodily fluids, throwing up, bleeding, that sort of thing, which would put them at high risk of transmission. And more importantly, the CDC and other me- medical organizations have not documented any case of airborne transmission of Ebola from someone in close proximity to someone who's symptomatic. So although they should be concerned, and certainly the aircraft should be checked and thoroughly cleaned. At this point, there's no reason to suspect that they are in a high-risk group of catching Ebola. Now, let's dig into that a little bit. Now, you're obviously not a medical doctor, um, but you do have a lot of experience um, with the aircraft and aircraft safety. Um, Tell us what you know about um, the air handling systems on these large passenger airliners and... um, and, 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 and disease transmission? Well, the aircraft that typically are used for airline transportation have environmental control systems which recirculate air and also clean the air, although it's not going to clear it uh, of all pathogens that may be airborne. It does keep the air relatively safe, and also uh, the air tends to be drier than it is at, at sea level, so that may uh, make it less likely to transmit some diseases, more likely to transmit others. Now, historically, there have been very few cases, documented cases, of passengers getting some sort of fatal disease uh, due to airborne transmission in an aircraft. SARS, which is a different kind of a disease entirely from Ebola, has been documented in two cases back in 2003 of where a passenger had SARS on the aircraft, infected other passengers, and in two cases on two different flights, passengers later died. So it's not unknown in history that someone can catch something that's fatal on an aircraft. There is no evidence that that's happened so far with Ebola, not in the Cleveland case, not in the case of the gentleman who later passed away in Dallas, not in the case of the gentleman who flew from uh, Liberia to Nigeria, who was very symptomatic on the aircraft, who was throwing up in the airport as he was leaving the, the, uh, the airport in Nigeria. In that case, none of the people in the aircraft or in the airport later came down with Ebola. So there is some risk, but there's nothing in recent history to suggest that the people on that aircraft flight are at high risk of catching Ebola. 
So if someone's sitting next to uh, another passenger who maybe they don't even know that they're a carrier or that they're testing positive later on, if they share an armrest, um, what risk might there be for somebody who's just sort of a casual flyer on an aircraft in the United States? Well, again, if there's some sort of sharing of bodily fluids, and again, that could be any number of things, a sneeze, what have you, on the armrest or on the tray table, there could be a possibility of transferring that virus to another person. But again, if people are using their usual common sense when it comes to that sort of thing, if uh, someone is sneezing, that person usually covers their mouth. If uh, there's something that is on a surface that appears to be disease-ridden, it might be wiped up or they might call the flight attendant over to deal with it. But uh, people in general in close proximity to in an aircraft don't do things that would put them at risk of being exposed to any number of diseases, including Ebola. So again, my suggestion is that unless the person is visibly ill, uh, sneezing, coughing, uh, throwing up, etc., that no unusual precautions be taken. But if you do see something going on, by all means, either move away from it or call attention, uh, call the flight attendant uh, over to pay attention to that situation. Do something to protect yourself, but don't necessarily assume it's Ebola. Exactly. That's, that's very good advice. And that's one of the, the things that we're trying to do through our coverage. The best we can is to, we have a hashtag uh, that we're using on Twitter, Facts Not Fear. And I think this interview may go a long way toward helping people uh, understand what the real risks are. Here's a question that has come up. I know Lauren and I talked about this um, earlier. Some people are wondering whether or not you know, the government and security officials within the government have developed a no-fly list for people who are suspected of being affiliated with terrorist organizations. Uh, are we moving toward, uh, or is it even prudent to discuss, having a no-fly list with respect to Ebola? It's prudent to discuss it because, uh, quite simply, there is a system in place to prevent people from flying on airplanes, and that's been used primarily in the global war against terror, and conceivably could be used in this case. That brings up all sorts of issues of privacy and the role of government. Uh, if for no other reason than the no-fly list, it's very, very difficult for a person who's on that list to figure out if they're on that list for one, and also figure out why they were put on that list. And right now, there are very, very few procedures in place that allow someone who's put on that list, whether rightly or wrongly, to question the judgment of the government. And I think that going as far as using that list, which was developed for a completely different purpose, will raise a bunch of issues that go well beyond Ebola. Let me ask you kind of a wide-ranging question. Um, why, why is air travel such a sensitive topic when it comes to disease transmission, especially with reference to a disease as communicable and virulent and terrifying, frankly, as Ebola? Why, why do we have to be so delicate with, with air travel? Well, there are several reasons. The biggest being, this is a situation where people can be in close proximity with one another for hours on end. And especially for any sort of airborne pathogen, it can be very, very dangerous to expose someone to that atmosphere, even an atmosphere that's scrubbed and cleaned on a regular basis by the air filtering system. It's very dangerous to expose someone to that environment. And also for something like Ebola, which is not transmissible by air, but can be by fluids that are left on surfaces. This does bring up some dangers. Now, just in the example of the person who was flying back from, from Cleveland, I was running through some figures in my head. Uh, there were about 130 people on board that aircraft. We were flying from Cleveland to Dallas. 
Dallas is a hub airport for several major airlines. If even 20% of those people on board that aircraft went to take another flight, suddenly you have 20 other aircraft, maybe with 100 people each, who are at risk, however small, of Ebola. So it's not just one person flying from Cleveland to Dallas. Suddenly, it's about 2,000 people who conceivably could have had a low level of exposure, extremely low risk exposure, but exposure nonetheless to Ebola. And so that sort of highlights why air travel is sort of tagged as a uh, very risky activity for people and for societies when there's an outbreak of this nature. Is that right? That's correct. And another reason that air travel can be a very sensitive thing. Ebola has an incubation period that can be from several days to up to about three weeks. It's conceivable on a very long flight, let's say one going from one continent to another, where you may be in an airport or an airplane for over 24 hours that you could start the trip feeling fine and take ill during the trip. Ill to the point of having the kind of uh, dangerous uh, production of bodily fluids, let's say vomiting and such, that could lead to contamination of the aircraft and exposure of other people. So it's very important that the procedures in place in West Africa to prevent people from getting on the airplane are executed and executed well. Because again, you can have a situation where the person gets on the airplane apparently well, and suddenly for several hours, hundreds of people are exposed to a very dangerous situation, should that person turn symptomatic. For more information about Ebola and airline travel, please visit ebola.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.